be a people who stand for something or who say we stand for something, yet we don't really stand for it. We're Christians in word, but not deed. We love in word, but not deed. I don't think that's what he longs for us. I, I, don't, I don't want us to be a church that says we think something's important, but then we don't act like it's really important. I don't, I don't want us to be a church that, that says something is valuable to us and is a core value, but then isn't. I, I just I don't want to pastor that church. I don't believe that's the church that Jesus has called us to be. I long for us, I, I desire for us to be a people who are so truly committed to Christ and the things that He has, he has called us to that it doesn't, just, it doesn't just appear in our documents or it doesn't appear on our website, but it's something that's really, truly, deeply rooted in our hearts and becomes the motive for why we do what we do. In fact, really, more than what I want for us as a church, I think it's what Jesus wants for us as a church. We can, we can build ministry. I mean, kids' ministries, community groups, Sunday morning worship gatherings, um, neighborhood outreaches, social justice work, uh, uh, bands, buildings, all the trappings that we associate with a church, we can put that together. Men can do that. Men can build organizations. They've been doing it. For years and years and years, men have been building organizations. Men can draw crowds. Just look at the movie theaters on a Friday or Saturday night and the amount of money that people are spending to go and enjoy these movies. Men know how to gather people. Men know how to build organizations. There's lists, the Fortune 500, of men who have built organizations. And I'm talking about mankind. I'm not just talking about men in general. I'm talking about mankind overall. We know how to build organizations, but we aren't talking about just your run-of-the-mill average organization. We're not even talking about the, the elite organizations. We are talking about the bride of Christ. You see, there's a difference. There's a distinction. I don't want us to just be your run-of-the-mill organization. It's okay to have the trappings. It's important to have the trappings. But underneath those trappings must be Jesus and all that Jesus said is important and valuable. So that's what we've been pressing towards. This week we're talking about his mission. It's great. I I love the song that we just sang. Uh, It is finished. See, Jesus gave us a mission. He completed a work and then gave us a mission. The the, the work of redemption is finished. It is is finished but the work to redeem others is still being done that's why we sing the song of the bride that's why we celebrate the crucifixion that's why we celebrate his life and resurrection because he's given us a job to do he's given us a reason to live something to do in light of what he's done It's his mission. Let's just read about it. There's no sense in me going any further without without just reading it and hearing it from him. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Actually, let me read. I'm I'm going to add to it 16. They're not on the screen. But let me just read to you the first two verses before that. The eleven disciples went to Galilee and to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. 
There had been a point, Jesus had always been telling them, I'm going to die and, and you're going to go to Galilee. And, and then after he rose, he instructed through, uh, th- through some women, he said, all right, tell them to go to Galilee so they know where to go. They go to this mountain in Galilee after he's risen. And when they saw him, there's these 11 disciples. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Now, there's some people that think that in this, in, in this moment, Jesus is appearing on this mountain in Galilee, and the 11 are coming, and they're worshiping, and others are seeing and doubting. They're not certain whether to believe it's really Jesus or not. See, by the time this happens, Jesus has revealed himself as a resurrected Lord. He'd shown himself to his disciples. He'd shown himself to them and then continued to teach them, remind them what they had to do, remind them what their job was to be doing. Some people believe this is the moment on the mountain in Galilee where he appeared to 500. You know, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians that there was a point where Jesus appeared before 500 people, that 500 people saw him all at one time. So it's not some some hoax. There's a real thing happening. Jesus has really risen from the grave. And, G, and, and Paul points to that moment as an evidence of the resurrection. I don't know if that's the moment that this happened or not. I just know that there were, there's, there, there were those that were there that worshipped and that there were those that were there that weren't sure what they were saying. But the message that Jesus had for that moment, for these 11 disciples, is imperative for us to hear. It's one you've heard over and over and we need to be reminded of over and over. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to him. All authority. All authority. He's the highest, the most preeminent. The, the, he is the highest authority in all the land. All commands given must take uh, a second seat to his commands. All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, in this moment, told the church what the church should always be about doing. We never have to wonder. We never have to question. If you are ever wondering about what God's will for you in your life is, this is it. This is it. I mean, think about this. The, 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 the last things that he was teaching his disciples, we see two perspectives happening inside of resurrection appearances. There's two things that Jesus does, two overarching things that he's doing when he appears to people in his resurrected body. First, he appears to them and assures them, I'm Jesus. I'm real. I'm in the flesh. I am risen from the dead. I am alive. There is hope. There's reason to believe all that I taught you. I am your Messiah. And the second thing is, over and over and over, he told them, go, I'm sending you. It's recorded here in Matthew. It's recorded in Luke at a different instance. It's recorded by John in a different instance. And and then again by Luke in Acts on a very different instance. But the very thing that he wanted his disciples to get and understand that as he was leaving, he was sending them. The last things he wanted us to understand 
The, the message that he was giving us before he left the earth was to go. Go. It's unfortunate, I think, that somewhere along the way, so I, I don't know when it happened. I, I mean, I, I looked at the entomology of the word and I tried to figure it out. But somewhere along the way, we began designating certain people as missionaries. We, we began calling people who determined to uproot their lives and go to other countries, to faraway lands, missionaries. And I don't want you to think that I don't have the utmost respect for people who will do that. I have family members that were lifetime career missionaries. I have the utmost respect for a person who will give up their life here, the, the comforts of this, of this world we live in, this first world. You know, we got first world problems, and they're easy to deal with compared to what goes on in third world places. I, I have the utmost respect for someone who will uproot their lives, uproot their families, leave careers, go to places that are hard to get to and difficult to live in, learn other languages, learn other cultures, and, and, and live their life there, all for the purpose of, sh- of, of spreading the gospel. I have the utmost respect for that. But I think it's unfortunate that we designated these people with this special call to these special places as missionaries only because it removes us and makes it more difficult from us. It makes it more difficult for us to understand that we have a role in God's mission. You see, it makes missionaries people who always are going away and makes mission fields difficult to get to. Brothers and sisters, this passage teaches us that every Christian is a missionary. I mean, by designating, by designating missionaries as a special class of people, we've done the same thing by, by naming people like me ministers. If you give me the title minister, what that does is it tells people that I do ministry. And the church receives ministry. But that flies in the face. That's completely different than what Paul called us to in Ephesians chapter 4 when he said that ministry belongs to the family, the believers, the, the followers of Jesus Christ. He said my ministry as a leader in the church is to equip others for their ministry. I have a ministry to do, but so does the whole church. Every member of the body, every member of the church, every follower of Jesus Christ, every believer in Jesus has a ministry in the body. And just as every member has a ministry in the body, every member owns this mission. Every member of the church, every believer and follower of Jesus Christ, every Christian is a missionary, and everywhere the Christian goes is his mission field. Mission fields are not just in places like Senegal. Mission fields are not just in places that are are third world in South America or, or Central America, where they speak other languages. The idea of this passage that Jesus is passing on to his people is that every one of us, everyone who carries the name Christian, has been given this mission. You are missionaries. And everywhere you go is your mission field. See, as, as, as I mentioned, Jesus has, has risen from the grave. He's taught and, and shown himself to his disciples. And now he's telling them, now it's time to go. Now it's time to get busy. Here's your mission mandate. Not a suggestion. Not, not if it's convenient for you. 
Not when you get around to it. I have all authority. So go. What do you think he means by that? Do you think he means that I have all authority? So when you see fit, go. Or do you think he means I have all authority? So make the priority of your life about going. Which fits that perspective better? He gives us a mission mandate. He says, multiply. Multiply. Go and multiply. God's been commanding us to multiply since the very beginning. I mean, this this command, this this mission given to us by Christ, it, it rings with a familiarity that God gave Adam and Eve in the very beginning. He gave them a negative command. Don't eat the fruit that I've commanded you not to eat. And he gave them a couple of positive commands. Rule the earth, subdue it. Go and be fruitful and fill it. And now again, here we are. Jesus has done the work of redemption. There's no more work to do to buy our salvation. And now he turns and says, go and fill the world. Multiply, spread out, go to all the nations. There's not, there's not an individual people. I'm here for all people. Go to them and tell them about me. Call them to follow me. Multiply. Don't, don't hang on to this message. Don't cling to it and keep it a secret. Go. Multiply. Make more one another's. Make more of yourselves. Duplicate. Replicate. Spread the word. Multiply. He tells us to do that by making, maturing, and mobilizing disciples. Multiply. Multiply by making more disciples. How do we do that? He doesn't give a specific instruction. The rest of the New Testament, though, does break it out. How do we make more disciples? We engage the world where they are. Isn't that exactly what Jesus had done? Isn't that exactly what he made himself about doing? I mean, he stepped into a world who was expecting him but did not recognize him. Right? Most of them rejected him. He had the first megachurch. Thousands of people were following. Thousands of people were receiving the blessings, the food that he, he created from five loaves and two fish. And they followed him the next day. And he says, you know what? You're not, here for, you're not here for me. You're here for what I can do. And he confronts them with this difficult teaching. If you don't drink my blood and eat my flesh, then you're not of me. And they're like, oh, man, that's, that's too much. And they quit following And he's left with his disciples, his 12 disciples that are sitting there. And he's like, are you guys going to go? Peter's like, where would we go? You have the words of life. He met this world. He engaged this world. He taught in this world. He served this world right where they were. He didn't expect them to come to him. In fact, I think we got this all twisted up and backwards sometimes. Before we're ever told to call people to come to Jesus, we're called to go and tell them about Jesus. We're called to go and tell them the story of what He's done. We're called to go and tell them about why they need Him before we say, come and follow Him. Is there a moment where we call them to that? Yes. But that's not first. 
I mean, why would we do things like kids' ministries? Why would we do things like community groups? And, and why would we do things like neighborhood outreaches? And why would we do things like encouraging? Why, would, why in the world would I encourage you to go involve yourselves in, in, in a, a difficult life like reaching out to people who are being trafficked? Why would I encourage that? Why would we be about that? Why would we think it's important? Because at some point we have to find a way to reach the world where they are. Friday night, Friday night, I stood out here in the cold and I gave away candy. If at some level, if at some place I'm not looking for opportunity to, to proclaim the gospel in that, then all I've done is make them less healthy as they're on their way to hell. I've not helped them, about, I'm not even doing a good service. Here, have some candy, rot your teeth. I don't have anything else for you. Is that what we're called to? No, we're to to participate. We're to take part in this world that we might evangelize the lost. Evangelize and tell them about who Jesus is and what Jesus does and why they need Him. You see, it's important that we engage. But there has to come a point where we begin to evangelize, where we begin to communicate. We can do all the good deeds we have in our heart to do. But if we never once mention Jesus, then we are not fulfilling the mission He's given us. Sometimes sometimes I, I think we... We think this means we're supposed to stand up in the world and say, hey, you sinners. And we make all our, all, all our conversations about, about how sinful people are. When we should be striving to make sure that they hear about Jesus. Now, don't hear me saying we shouldn't talk about sin. Absolutely. We're going to have to have that conversation. We're going to have to talk about our need. We're going to have to talk about the illness that needs to be healed. We're going to have to reveal to them their desperate desperate position. We're going to have to help them see how they're in a building that's burning and they need a Savior to come in and get them. We're going to have to have that conversation. Sometimes, Sometimes it seems like that's all the church is ever proclaiming. We need to go to the world with Jesus. We need to tell them about who He is. God with us. God, Creator, who chose to be Savior, who suffered for us in our place for our sins. I mean, we have something real and substantial to offer. This isn't isn't just a piece of candy. This is the answer for all of life. Why Why would we confront sin and not offer hope? That would be silliness. But it seems like sometimes that's what we do. And sometimes our conversation gets so wrapped up in connecting. I just want to belong. I want to be accepted. I want to be friends. I want people to like me. I don't want to be rejected. Don't we never get around to talking about Jesus? Well, what if they send me away? What if, what if they don't like me? What if I make them angry? 
at least you've given them the opportunity to live. At least you've let them see a glimpse of the light. At least you've loved them enough to set yourself aside that they might know Jesus. We have to evangelize. And in our evangelization, there has to be this moment, this time, where we make the ask, the big ask, where we got the product, we've told them all about who He is, and then we call them to follow Him. There has to be a moment. There has to be this time. There has to be this place where we bring them to the fork in the road and say, will you follow Him? Will you believe in Him? Will you trust His work on the cross in your place for your salvation? Will you set aside your works and your efforts to try and prove yourself worthy? And will you rest in His work on your behalf? We have to get to that place. And I think, I I really believe that maybe this is the place that's maybe the most scary for us. It's the most difficult to get to. It's easy to engage. It's easy to to show up and be there. I mean, we're in the world every day, right? We go to work. We eat at restaurants. We buy our gas at gas stations. Most of you probably don't go and only frequent Christian companies. I mean, there's there's not that many. The people we are customers, the, the people that we work with, the people that we live by, our neighbors. It's easy to engage. It's a little more difficult to begin to evangelize. And I think more difficult yet, after you've started the conversation, is to come to that point where you confront a person and say, Will you believe? That's exactly what it takes to make a disciple. That's exactly what Jesus is calling us to. Make disciples. Teach them about me. Teach them what I've taught you. Baptize them, he says. Baptize all who come. Call them out of the world. They're in the world. Call them out of it. That's what baptism is about. So we we reduce the significance of baptism in, in in our culture today. We miss how important it is. We put it off. It's like, oh, but we gotta have like months and months of classes. And I'm not saying the classes are bad. They're good to help people understand, but then we, we segregate our baptisms off to this moment where it's only just a bunch of Christian people watching. And, and not, even that's not a terrible thing. But what Jesus is calling people to is bapt- being baptized as a symbol, as a recognition that they are aligning themselves with Him, that they're trusting in Him for, death, for His death and His resurrection for the hope of life. You know, in this culture, when Jesus is saying this to these people, it's not happening in buildings. It's not happening segregated off from the world. I mean, just as an example, the first gospel message, priest in Acts, Peter preaches the first gospel message. 3,000 people come to believe and they're baptized that day in pools that are hap- happen to be public places in Jerusalem. Not like pools you swim in, but places where people go for water. And they're baptized there. And and as soon as they're baptized, people are like, what are you being baptized for? See, Jews, they weren't, they weren't immune. They didn't, they didn't not understand the idea of baptism. Baptism was about, was about being cleansed and washed and brought into something. And if they're being baptized, then they must be stepping out of Judaism into something else. This is a big deal. 
You see, the idea is that when we call them to follow Jesus, we're calling them to leave the world. And in fact, that he says be baptized. I, I think because, partly because, not that it saves you, but that it identifies you. You're saying in front of whoever will watch, whoever will witness it, you're saying, I follow Jesus. I believe in Him. I'm separating myself from the world and and stepping into His life. I'm leaving all that the world has to offer for Him. I'm going to live in obedience to Him. I want people to know that I long for Him. That's the idea. That's that's what baptism is about. He calls us to it. He says, make disciples. Baptizing them. Engaging them, evangelizing them, telling them about me, calling them to follow me. And calling themselves to separate themselves from the world. Sometimes that is going to be, well, always at some point, that is going to be confrontational. You're going to have to step into a person's life. You're going to have to tell them that what they're believing in is wrong. But there is hope. The truth is, making the disciples doesn't end there. See, it's not just about making disciples. It's about maturing disciples, teaching and helping people see what they're believing in is wrong doesn't end with the moment of evangelization and, and, uh, and conversion. It continues with maturing believers. Part of Jesus' mission is to mature disciples. Not just teaching them what they need to know to get them saved. He says teach them. It's this ongoing process. Continue teaching them. Teach them after they believe. Teach them after they're disciples. After they've been baptized. Continue teaching them how to obey me. How to observe all that I've commanded you. I don't think I don't think what he's saying is just believing or obeying those those commands. Love one another, serve one another, love God first, love your neighbor. I, I think he's saying observe, believe, hold dear, take it into who you are, apply it in your life, all that I've said about who I am and what I expect my people to do. See, I think it, I think that he's he's bringing it all together. He wants us not just to to teach about what to do. He wants us to teach about who he is. I think that's his point here. All that I've, teach them to observe all that I've brought to you and commanded you. The Greek word is, it's, it's bigger than just a command like, do this. It's, it's bigger than that. There's more to it than that. And so I think Jesus is telling them, teach them about me and to obey me, to live life behind me, following me, committed to me. So he wants us to mature our, mature disciples. He wants us to make and mature. Part of maturing is training new disciples to teach other disciples. It goes back now. It goes back and really we see this happening in, in Ephesians where Paul, he's, he's making disciples. He's out preaching and teaching the gospel. He's, he's challenging the thought of the, of the day and he goes into Ephesus and he teaches about Jesus and this church is formed. And he goes on his way and, and then at some point he says, you know what, I'm going to write them a letter. And he sits down and he writes them a letter and he reminds them of the gospel in the first three chapters. He reminds them of the gospel. He reminds them what he taught them. He reminds them what, what, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and, and why they should believe in him and why their satisfaction and hope is in him. And then the last half of the letter, he writes and tells them what to do. 
and he trains them not just how to live, but how to spread the word. He teaches them how to be a church, to how to how to be the church. So we mature, we make disciples, we mature disciples, and as we train new disciples, we mobilize those disciples. God is a sending God. God sent Jesus. God sent his spirit. God sent the apostles. And when he said to go and then told his disciples to tell others to go, he's sending us. Just as Jesus was sent and just as Jesus has been sent, now we are to continue sending one another. Today, as we close the service out today, Matt's going to close in a song. He's going he's gonna to close in a song that is a missional song. He does it every week. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but every week we sing two songs at the end. One is an opportunity for you just to reflect, repent, trust in Jesus. Fine, look at what you're believing and replace it with the truth of the Scripture and repent and, and, and walk in a different way. And then the second one is, as you go out, he is sending you out with a missional thought to bring this message to the world. It's great for us to get together. We need to get together. But as much as we need to get together, we need to be encouraging one another to go. Jesus didn't save us just to get together. He saved us and sent us. And as we do these things, as we strive to engage and and evangelize and call to follow and baptize, we are making disciples. As we are making disciples, we are going to strive to mature disciples. As we mature disciples, we're going to mobilize disciples. And you know what's going to happen? What we expect to happen, we really have no control over. We're, We're like farmers doing the work of farming. But we're going to expect fruit to be born and we're going to expect the multiplication to happen. We're going to multiply. But that doesn't happen with just me getting up on Sunday and preaching. doesn't happen by me just doing the part that I have to play. doesn't happen by, by just one of us. You see, every Christian, it goes back. It's the same thing. I want you to just learn this. I want this to ring true in your head. I want it to be repeated in, in your heart tomorrow. I want you to be thinking about it next Saturday when you're, when you're doing what it is, whatever it is you do. Every Christian, that means you, brother and sister, every Christian is a missionary, and everywhere you are is your mission field. When you're in your neighborhood, when you're in your, uh, when you're in your, um, workplace, when you're hanging out wherever it is that you recreate, when you are resting, you are a missionary with God's mission to do with the mission of Christ at hand. We've all been given this task. Every last one of us. And I think, I really think, I really believe that when we get serious about doing this together, I mean, just imagine a world, just imagine a world where the church takes this seriously. How different, how different would, how different would Springfield be if not just our church, but the church, the the believers in Springfield, how different would it be if we took seriously our call to tell the world about Jesus. Let's draw it in. How different would it be 
if this church took seriously the call to tell the world about Jesus. He said this to 11 disciples. Here we are 2,000 years later still talking about it. We, we can't make the church grow. We can't make it grow. All we can do is the work to see it grow, to see it multiply. But brothers and sisters, if we're not going to be about what Jesus has called us to be about, we can certainly inhibit its growth. The church is growing in places all over the world. But in America, the church is on decline. It's, it's declining. Per capita, we're smaller than, than we were yesterday. Every week, 4,000 churches are planted. They're started. And 7,000 close their doors. We're shrinking. Is it because Jesus is no longer growing the church? Or is it because the church is no longer about his mission? I don't. I, I want you to hear. I want you to hear this within context. I don't think we can undo the sovereign work of God. Somebody's not going to accidentally get left out because we don't do our part. Somehow God is going to reach His people. I, I have no doubt of that. But I don't want you to miss the responsibility that Jesus gave us either. I have all authority, he said. You know what that does? You know what that sets up for us? That means that the next words that he says are probably the most important words that we now have as believers. There's no other command. I have all authority. There's no higher authority. There's no other person that can tell you to do something different. There's no one that can override this command. All they can do is undermine it. Right? They can't override it. They can't take away from it. They can't tell you to do something different. They can't tell you there's something more important. All authority. In heaven, I mean, this is big. There is no one who can take this away. Go and make disciples. Because this is true. Because this is true. He said it. Every decision that we now make is a missional decision. Everyone is a missional decision. How you spend your money is a missional decision. How you spend and, and use your time is a missional decision. How you expend your energy is a missional decision. When and when you say yes to things and no to things, it's a missional decision. But whose mission is it accomplishing? Whose mission is it for? Jesus said there's one ultimate primary command I'm giving my church. He said, I have authority to do this. Go and make disciples. And then it's really cool because he follows it up with this promise. I'll be with you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. There's not a moment. In fact, he said, I'll be with you 
always to the end of the age. There's not a moment. There's not a moment that we're left alone. There's not a moment that we're unseen. There's not a moment that he's, that he's, that he's turned his head off away from us. There's not a moment he's not looking. He's with us. You know, the, the, the hope is this, that I, I can go. I can tell. I can, I can evangelize. I can make disciples. I can mature disciples. I can do the work that he's given me to do with this knowledge. He is with me. I have this theory. I have no way to prove it. I have this theory. That, and it happens every week. Just this week, I'm, I'm sitting in counseling. I'm dealing with people who are struggling, who are confused, who are, who are, who are just kind of lost their way. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. They don't know. Man, it seems like God's left me. And I have this theory. Maybe it's not that God's left us. Maybe it's just that we're not doing what God called us to do and so we can't find Him. We don't sense Him. We don't know His presence like we should because we're doing our own thing. See, maybe the reason, if you're sitting here today, maybe the reason that you're struggling and knowing what God has for you is because you just don't want to do what He told you clearly to do. You have this hope. You have this promise. He will be with you always to the end of the age. But how did he tell you to experience that? How did he tell you to know it? What did he tell you to do? Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded them to do. I think it really all comes down to this. Two things. No matter what we do, we've got to call one another to continue believing in Jesus. Even as a disciple, even as a follower of Christ, there are things in your life that you're believing in instead of Him. I believe if I do this, I'll be accepted. No, He's already accepted you. I believe if I work hard, I'll be able to be a, have a comfortable life. No, the comfort comes your Savior. I believe if I can just control my circumstances, if I can just hang on to all the ends of the ropes and spin all the plates I've got to spin, that I will be happy. You can find happiness in the fact that He has control. See, we're believing in all kinds of things. You need to believe in your Savior. And that belief, that faith in Him should then motivate you to do what He's called you to do. Go and tell somebody that they too can be satisfied in Christ. Go and tell somebody that what they're believing is not enough. Only Jesus satisfies. Believe in Him. Believe in Him and then go and tell others about Him. Let's pray.